Well, good to uh, see you all here this morning. Glad you made the choice to be here and excited to be continuing in our series where we've been working through the book of... All right, good. That's good. I'm glad that in chapter four, we're getting that down. Uh, We're going to be continuing here in chapter four and verse 21 and really uh, breaking down this text. And really, my heart is to to really uh, stay in a text so that you then, therefore, fall in love more with God's word. I'm just a a tour guide up here, just walking through uh, the text with you. But my hope is, is that this love for God's word then translates into your week and into your life. And it's something that uh, you've realized, hey, I can break down a text just like the bald guy on stage. That's easy. And so uh, excited to be in uh, God's Word. Well, this morning, you can see on the screen there this title, Let It Go. Uh, my, my daughters, much like many uh, little girls in our culture right now, have really been obsessed with a particular movie, this movie by Disney called Frozen uh, that they've really gotten into. And I've realized even more so than the, the movie Frozen, they've really liked this song from it. The song uh, called "Let It Go." Let's uh, let's take take a quick listen uh, to the perf- this star-studded performance of this song. So, th- thinking uh, they had to stay to hear that, and so uh, <laughs> they, uh, it was funny, I was over at Willow Elementary the other day where they go to school and was just following this, this little class uh, room of, of kids, and un- unled by the, the teacher or anyone asking them, they were just all belting out this song. They all knew every single lyric. I was like, what is up with that song? I was, I was reading the, the lyrics of it and trying to get a sense of uh, what it was about, and really the, the idea behind it is the idea of letting go of our attempts to people please, letting go of our attempts to people please, and I was like, you know what? That's, that's a little bit of like what, uh, what I'm seeing here in our text here this morning, that not necessarily people please, but more so with what Paul's addressing is he's calling people to let go of this idea of trying to please God, to gain his favor by our good deeds, to gain favor that's already there. If we've embraced Jesus' death as payment for our sins, we already have favor. There's no need to attempt to gain or to gather that favor. And so many of us, if we're honest, we slip into that. We slip back into it. We're in a culture where that's really obsessed. We'd really rather have a a to-do list, a list of things that we're supposed to do and not do. Because why? Because that appeals to our pride. We can do this if we work a little bit harder. It's even in our American culture, right? You know, if you, if you just work hard and then you're going to see success, you're going to earn favor, you're going to rise up to the top. And so it carries into our walks with Christ as well. And that's what Paul's addressing to this audience and what he's been addressing for the last couple weeks in our text is just saying, you know what? It's not about doing things to gain God's favor. It's not, about, it's not about earning favor with God. It's so easy to slip back into religious self-effort. Well, this morning we're going to talk more about that, and he's going to present another case for why we need to let that 
go. But let me pray for us before we dive in to chapter four. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for this chance to be together and this consistent theme that we've seen in this book must have been a a real issue in that time and, and maybe not just in that time, maybe in our time as well. Just this dependency on self, on fixing things, solving things, pursuing your favor by earning it, by trying to appease you. We thank you so much of what's going to be revealed here this morning. We just pray that you'd speak through your word, that you'd soften our hearts, that we'd, you'd make us teachable, moldable. God, we're dependent on your Holy Spirit here now to do that. We pray that in the strong name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to give a little background. You can start turning with me, if you don't mind, to Galatians 4.21. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the chair in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, take one of those Bibles home with you. Uh, this is in chapter 4, verse 21. A little background. Last week, John was speaking, and he if you remember at the end of the chapter or the section that he was in, in verse 20, he talked about Paul being perplexed. That word is kind of stuck in my mind. He's just, he's confused. He was dumbfounded. He couldn't understand why they weren't living in this new identity as sons and daughters of Christ, as, as co-heirs with Christ. Why are you not living in that? Why aren't you, why are you choosing to go a, a, another direction? And so here today, he's going a, another different angle, another, another approach Uh, with an illustration that he thought that they would be familiar with, a common ground, talking about Abraham again. And we're going to see in verse 24 that he uses Abraham's story as an allegory. Definition of an allegory, if you remember your, uh, your school days, an allegory by definition is a partial similarity between like features of two things on which a comparison can be made. This idea that there's a comparison that that it's going to be made in the text that's uh, an allegory between Abraham and his story and what was happening in that current time to these believers that were clinging on works in their own effort to please God. And so it's a historically accurate uh, comparison. It's uh, Holy Spirit sanctioned uh, to make his point. But he dives in in verse 21, if you'll look with me at this comparison. It says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Let's pause there for a second. The first statement that kind of took root when I was reading through this, the first statement says, You who desire to be under the law. You who desire to be under the law. Many times we read scripture and we think that it's about this ancient rebellious people group, and you're like, yeah, that's or or you're you're or or we're guilty of this, also thinking, oh, it's about my my friend that I just wish was here on Sunday morning. But what I would I would argue here this morning is that maybe this idea of being a desiring to be under the law is still something that we struggle with today. That's not just about some rebellious guy back then. It's not just some friend that should have been here this Sunday morning. It's about us. It's about us. I was dialoguing with one of our elders this week and just talking about this topic of where do we get sucked into this idea of being a slave to the law. And we're going to be talking about four different questions this morning, one of those being this one. Are you a slave to the law? 
This elder was pointing out a great list of questions to ask yourself. And maybe as I'm reading through this list, that maybe you can do a little bit of self-assessment ourselves as to whether or not we're the person that he's describing here. You who desire to be under the law. First measure that you might want to ask yourself is this, or first question is this. I measure my walk with God by external metrics. I measure my walk by God by external metrics. The problem is these metrics, which ones do you use? If you think about it, I pray. You might say like, that's a great metric. Well, like look around the world. Muslims pray probably more consistently than I do. I worship, so do Hindus. I study the Bible, so do Jehovah's Witnesses. I go on missions trips, so do Mormons. You can't use these things because these things, if done in the flesh and missing the relationship piece with Christ, can just become a checklist, right? Can just be a checklist of things. I love John Orberg. He made this statement. He says, the problem if you gauge spiritual maturity by disciplines is that the Pharisees always win. The problem is if, you, if, you, if you're gauging your spirituality by just doing things and, and this, this checklist, then the Pharisees always win. So first question, I measure my walk with God by external metrics. Second one, I measure my spiritual maturity by how much I know, not how much I love. How much I know, not how much I love. That's a dangerous one, right? We're in a culture that loves to get a, a new fact or a new tidbit or a new piece of knowledge, and we just keep piling those up. In 1 Corinthians, it talks about that. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, it says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If it's just knowledge for the sake of knowledge, what's the point? If it's not, it's, if it's not shaping us, what's the point of gathering or gleaming new stuff? My question for us is, are we measuring our maturity by how much we know or how much we love? Third question, I try to muster willpower to avoid sin and temptation rather than seeking God's spirit, God's power in his Holy Spirit. This idea of if I just try a little bit harder, if I, tomorrow, tomorrow's going to be the day. I'm going to beat this. I'm going to, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to have victory. Like what happens when we slip back into that kind of thinking? Slave to the law. Fourth, I feel defeated when I sin rather than soaking in the reality that his amazing grace covers all of my sin. Allowing that to really sink in. Where do, do we slip into that? I'm not saying that repentance isn't still key and critical in the life of a believer, but I'm saying allowing the truth of the forgiveness that we've experienced in Christ to soak into our very core. It's an awesome thing. We should just be oozing. I've talked about this before. Just oozing with gratitude because of that reality. Are we a slave to the law? Five, I think, if I, I think if I don't commit certain big sins, then I'm okay with God. Instead of realizing I need him for my every breath, every part of me is dependent on him. As long as I don't really mess up, he can do his thing and I can do my thing. A lot of us slip into that way of thinking. You know what? Like, you know, what? as long as I avoid the, uh, the terrible 12 or whatever it is, the, the 10, like as long as I, 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 I keep this list or this, these, these rules, then you know what? God does his thing. He, I do my thing. Everybody's happy. You know, that, that's the way of thinking we can slip into if we're a slave to the law. 
Or how about this? I feel superior to others when I see them doing things I don't do or not doing things I do. This idea we start looking at other people and saying like, well, he does this. I don't do that. I must be pretty spiritual. Or, or I do this. Wow, why don't they do that? This, this, this confusing list that we create in our mind. How are we doing on this? Are we a slave to the law? Are we a slave to the law? What if Satan's strategy isn't getting you to do bad things, but rather getting you to check boxes week in and week out with wrong motives, thinking you're earning favor with God? What if that's his strategy? Trying to create little robots out of us, like with no real passion or love. It's not driven because of gratitude or a relationship. It's because we're trying to appease Almighty God. That's why he says there in the text, he says, do you not listen to the law? Since you want to be under the law, look at what it says. He's here referring to the Torah or the first five books of the Old Testament. But in that section, the big idea that he starts to paint is this comparison between slave or free. Which are we going to live under? Hmm, it's a, a tough choice, right? Question, based on this list, are you a slave to the law? The, the first point that he, I wanted to point out from the text there, we have to let that go. The second one in verse 23, another question for us to ask ourselves. My, my hope is, is that this exercise is really starting to get us to do a little bit of heart work instead of just like hearing, oh, about God's grace and about this, like starting to ask some tough questions. Second tough question, are you living by the flesh or the promise? Take a look at verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. We talked about that. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. That can be a little bit of a confusing section when you first read that. But basically, you're seeing the beginning of a comparison between two women. Between Hagar and Sarah and their sons. You can read about them in Genesis 16 and 17. If you remember, this was the story of Abraham. Abraham had his wife, Sarah. And if you remember, God made a huge promise to them in their later years of life. Though it was that promise that she would bear a son and that he would have great, a huge amount of descendants coming from him. Many na the, the nations would all be blessed by their offspring. So this promise, however it was made, it was not... It wasn't made to happen immediately. Anybody else notice that sometimes God has a promise for us and uh, we get a little bit impatient on when that promise is going to come to fulfillment? I know in my life, that's an that's a ongoing one. You know what God is, you're like, you sense God's calling and his tug in a particular direction, but you're like, all right, God, but what's the timing on that? What's the timing on that? And there's such a temptation to go into problem-solving mode. My wife and I, I've shared this before, 
had a, a number of years. That I, we've realized that like having kids isn't a guarantee. Anybody else uh, figured that out in your uh, child rearing years? We, we figured that out after three years of failed attempts. And, and we were looking into all kinds of options, checking into in vitro, different things. I've shared this before. And, uh, and I remember my wife coming to me and saying, you know what? I just really sense we were scheduled for in vitro. I really sense that God's telling us to wait on him and it's going to happen in his timing, in his perfect timing. And uh, I, I joke about this because I'm like, are you sure it wasn't the, the pizza you ate last night? You sure it was God? Like real spiritual pastor. And, uh, and, and, uh, and, and, but I remember the months after that, the promise had been made. We're clinging to that. But then there's that waiting period of time. That time you're like, man, is it, is it this month? Is it next month? Is it, well, what is the timing? What is the timing? And that's the same thing that Sarah and Abraham dealt with in, in waiting on God, waiting on his timing. And instead of waiting perfectly, what did they do? They took matters into their own hand. That's why the two women are compared. Hagar was one of their slaves that they decided, you know what? Maybe God's promise is gonna come through Abraham having a child through Hagar. Why don't we try that? That's a, a problem-solving thing. I'll, we'll fix that. We'll, we'll just introduce a, a new woman into the mix. Is that a good idea? Pro probably not. And, uh, and, and so what we see here is uh, on their own human efforts and problem-solving skills, Hagar then has a son that they're describing in the text here named Ishmael. They assumed at first that Ishmael must have been the, uh, the, the one that was going to pass on the, from generation to generation. But God wasn't saying, listen, you don't need to go outside. You don't need to fix things on my behalf. God doesn't need help keeping his promises. Let that sink in for a second. Do you think God, almighty God, is just like, hmm, how am I going to do this? I know I spoke the world into existence, but what am I gonna, how am I going to solve this problem? Like, no, that's not how it works. But we so often think that we're helping fix things by our own intervention, so, so the promise was still to Sarah. It was to an old barren woman. I love it picturing. I was, I was trying to find a good picture uh, last night uh, online of a, of a really elderly woman. This, uh, I was looking up pictures of 90-year-old women, but I was like, that's not going to necessarily add to the message. But this, this, this picture was thinking, thinking of, of a woman 90 years old with this new baby. Like, how crazy is that? What God wanted to make sure that everybody was clear on was that it had nothing to do with them and their effort, and it had everything to do with him keeping his promises. So my question for us, for us in response to that, is are we, are we still living by the flesh or by the promise? Living by the flesh or the promise. What does that look like uh, today? What does that look like to live by the flesh rather than a promise? We, we have this tendency, that if, we, if you're honest with ourselves, and I have this tendency too, to just kind of blaze on with all of our plans and our agenda, never really slowing down to ask the God of the promises. Never slowing down, just hoping that maybe I'll do my thing and then you ask God to bless your thing, right? That's how we can slip into, uh, into such a, a flesh way of living, never actually pausing to hear his still small voice. God, what do you want to do with this situation? God, in, the, in this, this relational issue that I'm in the middle of, how, how do you want me to respond? 
This conflict with my, with my wife, what, what should I do? What do I need to own in this? With raising my kids, I don't know how to solve this. Like, what, are, are we just trying to, in our own might, solve it? Are we still doing the same thing that they did back then, living by the flesh or living by the promise? Living by the promise keeper? Are we, are we relying on him? Are we dependent on him? Are we doing things in our own strength? Are we going into work, doing our own thing? Are we trying to find work by our own thing? Are we leaning deeply into him, saying, God, I don't know how to solve this. When was the last time when you're dealing with an issue that you actually just sat outside for an hour just in the, in the sunlight, just like, God, what do you want me to do with a journal and pen, listening to his voice? That's living by the promise, not living by the flesh. What does he want to say to you about these things? This, uh, this idea here, but Sarah, in this example, she represents the uh, covenant. The, both of them represent a part of the covenant. Hagar represents the law given to Moses at Mount Sinai. It talks about there as by human effort. Sarah represents the promise made by God to Abraham, dependent solely on God alone. I love Hebrews 11, 11 says this, by faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She, she, she had leaned into the promise keeper. She'd leaned into him. Where are we leaning as we're doing our routine, as we're going throughout our days? Are we even slowing down enough to hear him? So that's the second question for us, flesh or promise? We have to let go of the flesh. The third one I want to look at has to do with identity. Do you recognize your identity as a child of God? Verse 28 says this, Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. Verse 28, Brothers, He's referring to these believers, this audience that he's writing to. It wasn't made up of a bunch of just random people that didn't know Christ. He was talking to people that had made the decision to bend their knee. And I'll tell you what, in this room, if there's someone here, like this whole, all these promises, all this conversation here about this, like it's kind of a mute point until you get to know the God of, of the promises. Until you've chosen to embrace him for the forgiveness of your sin, it's kind of pointless. And so don't leave to Day without getting that piece figured out. But what he's talking to in verse 28, brothers are like, he says, now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. This idea of each child being miraculously born the same way that it was a miracle that Sarah had a child, the same thing, each one of us are born from the miraculous work of Christ on the cross, the work of grace. But he's pointing out this, this idea of our new identity. I was thinking about that this week in the healthy father-son relationship, what that looks like. And some of us can't point to that. Some of us can't point to a healthy father or, or, or daughter-son relationship, whatever that may be. But in this context, he's saying, listen, you're, you're, you're designed, you were born, according, you weren't a born in, according to the flesh, you're born by the spirit to be sons, to be children of the promise. 
I spent some time yesterday, the, our two daughters were at a birthday party, and so I had a little father-son hangout time. And so we went for a, a bike ride first, drove around, and, uh, and had to deal with it, like, oh, I can't do it anymore. Come on, Chase, you can make it. Uh, any other parent have to deal with that? Uh, but, but then we decided, I said, well, there's something easier. We can always go for a car ride. So we, there's fun, we have a, a fun car, put the top down, went over on uh, Mulholland Drive. I don't know if you guys have ever done that windy road through there. It's a blast and uh, all these crazy uh, motorcycle drivers like close to dying every turn and and so we go to the, the the top of this hill and there's kind of a lookout point where you can watch everybody kind of coming up the road and risking their lives and uh, and so we thought well that's a good manly father son thing so so I'm, I'm sitting there with Chase and just talking about it and pointing out well that's that make a car that's that there's that guy about to die and and you know we're just chatting but but I, I loved it because in the the middle of us talking and hanging out and just kind of watching this. I, I just have little Chase sitting next to me, put his arm up around dad, just hanging on, just kind of leaning his head on, on my shoulder. And I was like, you know what? Like, that's the picture. That's the picture that God's designed for us to be. Not a, like, well, can you imagine if I handed him, like, all right, son, here's a checklist. And the first one on that checklist is some hugs. You know what I mean? Like, that would have been, that would have been weird. It'd be really weird to do that. But he's saying, like, no, this design, the way God wanted it to be is a healthy father-son relationship where it describes earlier as calling him Abba, Father, this relationship of intimacy. My question is to, uh, for us is, is that the way you're seeing your relationship with God? Or have you slipped into this angry God idea of him just standing there with a club waiting for you to blow it, waiting for you to mess up? That's not at all it. That's not at all it. This picture that he says, now you brothers like Isaac are children of promise, children that picture, he could have said adults. He could have gone with any direction with. He chose the, the, the beauty of a, a picture of a child and a father. It's an awesome thing. But then he also clarifies some ex expectations in verse 29 that part of being the son of, 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 of the God that was murdered here on earth and rejected by the world is expecting some persecution. That's part of being a child. He says, but just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. So for us, realistic part of, part of us, per persecution is also part of our identity, part of the thing to be expected. I thought it was interesting that this idea of persecution started all the way back with Isaac and Ishmael. Ishmael, in Genesis 21, 9, Ishmael mocked Isaac. Then in Genesis 16, we see that Hagar hated Sarah. It's so funny when you go outside of God's plan to solve things, how many things derail. And when, uh, when Ishmael and Hagar were sent off, where were they sent off? I found this interesting. The descendants of Hagar through Ishmael moved to the desert area of Arabia and became, became known as Arabs. The, thus, the root of present-day conflicts with Israel and Arab nations. Isn't that interesting? It all started all back then because of man's attempt to solve things, to fix things on its own. But he says there, so also... It is now. This idea of persecution, the parallel that he's making is he's saying the people that are trying to bring you back to being rule keepers and list checkers, like those people, are that, that's a degree of persecution. It's interesting to think of that, isn't it? To think of persecution as when we start having people trying to impose their, their lists upon us. 
That's the idea that he's painting here. He's saying, hey, in the same way that you're born according, that there's persecution back then, you're still experiencing that now. We have to choose. We have to daily make the choice. I've, I've realized that's not an not, not a easy thing to let go, to slip back into the like, all right, there's these things I need to accomplish, things I need to do, but to see it more as that father-child relationship, it's an intentional daily choice. So my question, do you recognize your identity as a child of God? Do you? Does that really sink in? Last one I want to look at here in verse 30 is this pointed to the text in verse 30, this idea of what habits or way of thinking do you need to cast out? You can see that on the screen and in your notes. Verse 30 says this, But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Cast out, this idea that he first points to there. This action was taken by Abraham in Genesis 21 toward Hagar and Ishmael. Not even saying that was the right thing. But obviously, what has this been? This has all been an allegory. There's no single moms or kids being cast out. Like, that's not the takeaway from this. The takeaway is the allegory that Paul's pointing to. He's describing the slave woman and her son is to represent what? Is to represent those that are teaching justification, that were justified before God because of good works. So that's the thing that he's saying to cast out. He's not saying like, hey, take it, get, get rid of single moms and kids. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's not it at all. He's saying, he's saying strictly that, man, we can't, there should be no tolerance to this idea of, of earning favor with God, justification through works. So he points to that. And for that, that was the, the major thing. He was saying, he describes it, says, we are not children of the slave. That implies, why would you want to go back? Why would you want to go back to being like Ishmael, who was a slave, was an outcast, and separated from God? Why would you want to go back to that? That's the parallel that he's making. That, in that time period, that was the stinking thinking that had crept in, this idea of appealing to God, appeasing to him. But I was thinking about it in present day. What do you think some of the things, I was actually asking a few different groups of people, what do you think the present day things, this is what Paul was confronting with that church, what do you think he would confront with us here in the Rabbit Valley? Like what would he, what would he address with, with us? What would he, what would he come to, the, to this church and, and, and confront? What would be the things that he would, what, what, he would, would, it, would it be the same thing? Would it be that same idea? I was brainstorming with a couple people and it was interesting to hear their thoughts of some of the, the areas that he might confront with us in present day church. How about this? How about the area of entitlement? Maybe that's something. Thinking we deserve something we don't. How about the area of complacency? Content really not doing a whole lot for the kingdom at all, if we're honest with ourselves. Maybe that's what he would, would confront. Maybe self-righteousness, this idea of there's some superiority over others because of our achievements or how many Bible studies we've been to or how much we know about God's word. Would that be what he'd confront? Maybe it's good old-fashioned pride, this idea that I've got it all figured out. I don't know. Would that be what he'd write us about? How about fakeness? That was one that was mentioned. I've got it all together. Everything is great while the life is crumbling around them. Fakeness. 
Non-committal. How about that one? Do you think that would be maybe something in our, our church body and that, that Paul would write to us about? Church when it's convenient, when there's not opposing things on the calendar, when the sporting event happens to not fall on a Sunday. I don't know. Comfortable and self-consumed. What, what would be the things? What would be the things that Paul would write to us about? What would he confront our church about? It's a, it's a pretty convicting question mark, isn't it? That's a, in, in this time period, or maybe then, maybe the same exact thing that he was calling them out. Maybe the same exact thing, trying to earn God's favor, trying to do enough good things to appease Almighty God, to please him, to gain favor when we already have favor. Either way, it's something that we've got to let go. We've got to let go of that. We can't do it. We can't approach our life like that. Either way, we have to let it go. That's the idea that I want to leave us with. It is letting, letting go, being done with that. Done with this, trying to appeal to God, appease things. That let go of that self-effort. Let's choose. He paints two different pictures here. To either live in freedom. That he's saying, man, we're, we're sons and daughters of the free woman. Why would you go back to this yoke of slavery? It makes no sense. You have to let it go. But I've recognized in my own life that that's only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going consistent, saying, God, I can't do this. I can't let go of it without your help. My prayer is this morning that this would be maybe even a starting point for us, even just starting to say, make that prayer as you start your day. God, allow me to live in relationship. May that compel my actions. May the love that you've poured out on me be the motivator, the thing that moves me to act differently. Because the truth is, somebody that is free lives very different than the world around us. Somebody that's free, man, you can tell somebody that's living. Can't you tell when you're around somebody that's like, man, they're living in Christ's freedom. It's an awesome thing. It's an invitation to us personally and collectively as a church. Let me pray for us as we conclude. God, we thank you so much for this invitation. Another picture, man, you use Paul in so many ways to point to the same thing, the same idea, same theme, that we have to let go of self-righteous attempts of appealing for your favor, God. Please, God, in your strength, we want to release that. We want to, in your power, live for you as a son, as a daughter of Almighty God. We praise you and thank you for this reminder here this morning. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. His yoke is easy, his burden is light, the name of Jesus. Let's live in that freedom this week, amen? If there's something we can be praying for you about, feel free to stop by the front here. Otherwise, have a fantastic week in the Lord. God bless you.